but Colossians 3, 12 through 17 is the text, and I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version. Paul says in verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. My wife and I dedicated our son Nathan to the Lord at Christmas time, 1983. He was just four months old. But whenever we look at the pictures of that child dedication, we laugh out loud. Not because the service, the service of dedication is a, is a laughing matter. In fact, it's not. It's a very high and holy and sacred moment in the lives of families who want to say to the Lord, we will raise our children in the teaching of Scripture and according to the Gospel. So it's a very sacred moment. Uh, when, when people dedicate their children to the Lord. But we, we weren't laughing at the service. We were laughing at us. Because there we were on stage, front and center, in a large church in Toronto. And uh, Patty had a, a beautiful dress on and all of her fine accessories. Looked like a million dollars. Ten million, in fact. <laughs> taking inflation into account from 1983. <laughs> looking like $10 million, and there I stood beside her in a pair of faded blue jeans and a borrowed sweater. Not by choice, mind you, not, not by choice. Nathan was born in Chicago, where I was going to school, in September of that year, and so at Christmas time, we drove up to Toronto so that Nathan's grandfather, Bud, who was a pastor, could dedicate him uh, to the Lord while we were there. Beautiful service. When we arrived at our, my in-law's apartment building, we drove under the canopy and we quickly unloaded the Christmas presents and the suitcases and the garment bag and put everything on this big oversized table in the lobby of their building. And then when mom and Patty took all of the stuff and transferred it into the elevator... Uh, I parked the car about 13 miles away, you know, Toronto. Uh, so the instant the elevator door closed, Patty and Mom realized that they had forgotten, forgotten the garment bag on the oversized table. But they'd already punched the elevator button, and up to the 11th floor it went. They closed it immediately, came back down. But by the time they got back to the lobby, someone had walked away with the garment bag. The only suit I owned was in that garment bag. <laughs> and the only pair of dress pants that I had. I was a poor student, and I was soaking it for all it was worth. 
And, and the only sport coat I owned was in that garment bag, and it was gone. And believe me, back in 1983, we were still wearing suits to church, especially for services like child dedication, very special, somber services. But that Sunday morning, when my one and only son was being dedicated to the Lord by his grandfather, great big deal, there I stood in a pair of faded blue jeans and a borrowed sweater. Well, the Apostle Paul is not a fashion consultant, and Calvin Klein would not be impressed with him. But he does help us understand how we can be dressed for spiritual success. And according to Colossians chapter 3, believers in Jesus Christ have already taken off the old self and have already put on the new when they were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It happened in that moment. The old self was put off, the, the new self put on. That's what it says in Colossians 3.9. You've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So in light of this, in, in light of this fact, which has happened to those who have expressed their faith in Jesus, now Paul, in light of this, calls the Colossians to a holy lifestyle. Okay? You're a brand new person. You're a new creature. You can't live like you used to live. You've got to live a brand new life. And this holy lifestyle is consistent with our new identity. We're not the same people that we were before. We've taken off the old self and put on the new. Believers like us have been chosen by God and we stand before Him as His beloved sons and daughters. But now we must live up to who we are and, and what we are in Christ. So how should we adorn this new self. We've, we've put on the new self. We've been born again. We've, we've, we've just got our birthday suits on. We've got to get dressed up. We, we need to put something on. So Paul gave us some advice. First of all, he says, clothe yourselves with love. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, that never happens here, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So notice that Paul begins this new section with with a, a rather soothing and encouraging description of believers in Jesus. He says they're, they're chosen by God, they're sanctified by God, they're loved by God, and they're forgiven by God. Very encouraging. And I think he seeks to encourage them, primarily because he's got some tough stuff coming. You know, Build them up and say, hey, way to go, you guys, chosen by God, sanctified by God, loved by God, forgiven by God. So now in light of this, this is how you ought to live. I think that's what's coming. He's, he's encouraging them Uh, to prepare them for the strong exhortation that's about to come about living out the life and living a life that's worthy of the gospel. In these verses, the Colossians were commanded to put on virtues which stood in brilliant contrast to the vices that they were supposed to take off or put off and put away. Here we have the wardrobe of the saints and what beautiful garments they are. Oh my He tells us to put on compassionate hearts and kindness, humility, 
meekness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Beautiful wardrobe, that is. Kind of makes me wonder what the Christian church generally would be like if we, if we worried less about suits and blue jeans and cared more about humility and kindness and forgiveness and grace. Verse 14, he says, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So I see the virtues in verses 12 and 13 as an expression of love. Love is sort of the the, the capstone, uh, and all of these other virtues are kind of subsets of love. Humility, kindness, meekness, patience, they're all expressions of love, if you have, if you will. So, So you are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I must clothe myself with compassion and humility and kindness and meekness toward you, and you toward me. That's what the Scriptures says. I I need to bear with you and and you with me. I need to forgive you and you need to forgive me. And that sounds nice, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, sounds good. But loving, unlovable people and forgiving people who have wounded you and hurt you deeply, well... That takes a little extra grace, doesn't it? Takes a little extra grace. But you know, we've all made mistakes. Right? We've all made mistakes. And so we, we all need a little extra grace from time to time. It was way back in 1929, on New Year's Day, of course, that Georgia Tech played against UCLA in the Rose Bowl. And there was a guy that played for UCLA by the name of Roy Regals. Roy Regals recovered a fumble in the first half of the game. But in the melee and all the confusion of scrambling for the ball, Roy lost a sense of direction. And he started running with the ball in the wrong direction toward the opposing team's Goal line, thank you. One of, the team, one of his own teammates actually ran, ran after him and overtook him and tackled him just before he crossed the, the goal line. And just a few play, plays later, Georgia Tech scored a, a touchdown and it demoralized UCLA. So the first half was over and they, all the players filed off the field and they, they went into the, into the dressing room and they all just sat there. Nobody said a thing. Roy Riggles found a corner, put a blanket over his head, and just sat there. The coach never said anything the whole halftime. He, he didn't know what to say. He, he really didn't know what to say to the team. So uh, when, the, when the time came for the start of the second half, all the players got up and kind of shuffled out, all of them except Roy Riggles. He didn't budge. He just stayed there. The coach said, Roy, come on, let's go. He didn't move. So Coach Price walked over to him, put his hand on his shoulder, and said, Roy, listen, the same team that started the game is going to play the second half. You you get out there and give it your best. The game is only half over. The game is only half over? 
You know, all of us have run a long way in the wrong direction. But because of the, the grace and, and love and forgiveness of Jesus, we are reminded the game is only half over. A little more than half for some of us, but it, it, it's, it's only half over, right? All of us have run a, a long way in the wrong direction. So we, we, need to, we need to extend love and forgiveness to people as they've extended it to us. So let's not bench people just because they've made a mistake. Give them a chance to repent and make things right and ask for your forgiveness. Give them a chance. And if they do, then you've won your brother. You, 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 you know, there, there can be forgiveness. If they do not, and they will not, then you need to just release them to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. So you just you give them over and trust the, 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 the judge of all the earth to do what is right in a situation that you cannot control. Does that make sense? Paul says, clothe yourselves with love. Second, we need to put on peace. Clothe yourselves with peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Well, before he ascended to the Father, Jesus gave his peace to his disciples. Remember the passage in John 14? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, give I you. Don't be afraid. Here's my peace. So the peace of Christ is different from any other kind of peace you can ever imagine. And the reason is because, partly because it is His peace. It's His personal peace that He's giving away. <laughs> this is the peace of Jesus. He's giving it to us as a gift. Here, my peace I give you. I give you this relationship peace and peace from war. And I don't, I'm giving you my peace. My peace. Thank you, Jesus. It's His own personal peace, so it brings a sense of wholeness and well-being and completeness regardless of the circumstances. And what are we to do? Well, Scripture says, let it rule in your hearts. Be thankful. The, one New Testament scholar says the word rule carried the idea of arbitrate. So, so the sense here is, um, let the peace of Christ be the umpire in the situations of your life. In the midst of the conflicts and chaos of life, let the peace of Christ be the referee and call the shots. Let the peace of Christ resolve the, the conflict. So when you're, when you're out on the golf course and you're one stroke behind uh, the guy that you're playing against and he says, no, no, you're two strokes. You have to let the peace of Christ be the umpire right at that very moment. Because I know how golfers can get when it comes to strokes and counting strokes. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let it umpire. Let it arbitrate. About 10 years ago, National Geographic included a, a photograph of the fossil remains of two saber-toothed tigers who were locked in combat. Uh, tiger number one had bitten deep into the leg bone of cat number two, and cat number two had kind of twisted his back around apparently and, and, and bit into the backbone of cat number one. And they died like that. And they were fossilized forever. And of course, we know that saber-toothed tigers became 
extinct. So when friends and families and church people fight with one another, everybody loses, right? Everybody loses. We know that. We've experienced that, some of us, and some of us deeply. We get that. And what does the Bible say? How does the Bible counsel us? Well, the Bible says... If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, if I was extracting verses that I didn't like from Scripture, I think that might be one of them. (laughs) Because I don't always like taking the first step, you know, as far as it depends on you. And if it's possible, sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you offer peace to people, they don't want peace. They just want to fight. But as far as it depends on you, if it's possible, be at peace. And then Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then back to Colossians 3, 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And if we, we, you see, if we have the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, then we're, we're at peace with God, but we're also at peace with other people in the horizontal plane with other believers. And that's, that's one of the garments that we need to put on, Paul says. Put on love, put on peace, and then clothe yourselves also with Scripture. Verse 16, let the Word of Christ, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Well, a note of explanation from one of the study Bibles that I have at home said the the word of Christ probably refers to the teaching about Christ as well as Christ's own words himself, which were part of the oral tradition that were handed down to believers. And once the Gospels were recorded, and, uh, and that was done by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that became canonical scripture for us, authoritative scripture, that now, teaching about Christ and the teaching of Christ, we consider to be the word of Christ. And so without the scriptures, we can't teach one another with any wisdom. Without the scriptures, we can't counsel one another very well. Without scripture, we can't sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs uh, with any sense of divine purpose or fruitfulness. We, we, we desperately need the Scriptures. We need the Word of God. And, and someone said earlier, you know, a, a lot of churches these days are teach and preach feel-good sermons. They, they want you to be a better person. They want you to leave the auditorium feeling good about yourself. Well, Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. He died to make dead people live. And you see, there's a big difference. And our focus here at the gathering is to be gospel-centered, to keep the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ absolutely central to everything we do and everything we teach. And to be careful that we don't, we don't become so horizontally oriented and caring for people and having potlucks and you know, setting up all that sort of stuff. And that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. But we don't want to lose our vertical focus 
on Jesus Christ. And that's why I keep repeating the gathering's priorities of gospel-centered preaching and gospel-centered worship. Because we want and we need the Word of Christ, we need the gospel to dwell in us richly so that we can do all that other stuff. So that we can teach and admonish and encourage. So that we can counsel people with wisdom. So that we have discernment uh, that's rooted in the Scripture to, to share with people and help people uh, in their, the quandaries of their lives. We need to participate in gospel-centered worship by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that are, that are about Christ and His work, not just about how we feel. So I'm just all over that, and I will continue with your permission, or without... Uh, <laughs> to keep stressing our priorities. (laughs) Did I say that out loud? Uh, Gospel-centered preaching, gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, gospel-centered multiplication. Those are our priorities. Several years ago, there was a television program that that preceded just before the Winter Olympics that featured blind skiers learning how to do slalom skiing. As, as impossible as that sounds, but I, I was intrigued with the, the concept, and so watched the show. Paired with sighted skiers, blind skiers were taught just on the flats or gentle slopes how to make turns left and right, and, you know, and, and it was always, they were always paired with a sighted skier who would, who would uh, give them directions loud enough so they could hear, left, left, right, okay, straight, Straighten out, a little bit left, 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 right. Mogul coming up, left. You know, and they, they, they'd be giving commands the whole time that these blind skiers were making their way down the hill. And then they went up to the slalom hill and did the same thing. It was fascinating. How do they do that? By following the directions. I mean, without question. They just, they follow you. They, well, I'm not sure I should take a left. You, I mean, you can't see. You've got to go left. There's a tree to the right. You, you have to. What a vivid picture of the Christian life, isn't it? It's just such a vivid, transformational idea that we would follow the Scriptures and the Word of Christ and let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly so that we know when to turn left and when to turn right, when to go straight. We need to rely on the Word of God and the only one who is truly sighted, Jesus Christ Himself. He sees everything. We need to saturate ourselves in the Scripture. Marinate in the Word. Inundate your heart and mind with Gospel. Overload your circuits with Bible. Clothe yourselves with Scripture. You doing that? Maybe you've got some work to do in, in that area. You, you, you better get busy. It's really important. And finally, Colossians chapter 3 says, Clothe yourselves with gratitude. Verse 17, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So I think this is kind of a summary. Paul is, is presenting a kind of summary here. Whatever you do, whatever you do, doesn't matter, I don't care. Whatever you do, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whether you eat or drink or sleep or walk or talk or have a conversation or preach a Bible sermon or or teach Sunday school, whatever you do. Raise your kids, love your wife, do it all in the name of Jesus. I I think that just 
about includes everything, doesn't it? Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything. Whatever you do, everything. Do it in his name. So the, the centrality of Jesus never diminishes for a moment the importance of the Father. See, we make much of Jesus here because that glorifies the Father also. Doesn't diminish the Father, but brings Him glory. They're never in competition with one another. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, never in competition. So to act in the name of Jesus is to act uh, to the glory of God the Father as the representative of Jesus on earth. Secret agents for Christ. (laughs) We're delegates in the name of Jesus. We're ambassadors for Christ. What a tremendous privilege we have. Isn't it awesome? We get to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We get to represent Jesus to a watching world, to a world that's broken and needy and and desperately searching for, for answers. And, and that, that's all the more reason to give thanks to the Father, to clothe ourselves with an attitude of gratitude. You ever bump into Christians who are full of the joy of the Lord? <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. I'm grateful. Really? You don't look grateful. You don't sound grateful. <laughs> You've got to put on this attitude of gratitude. Amen? Amen? Okay, so here we go. Before we leave this joint today, we need to make a decision. And because you, I've been talking about all these beautiful garments that we could put on, this new wardrobe. You've got your new self, right? You might still be in your birthday suit, so you've got to put on some garments that have been specifically designed and tailored for you, for this new self that God has given you as a gift of the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now you've got this new self. Now you've got to put something on. You've put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. What are you going to wear? Paul says, you know, you've got to clothe yourselves with love, with peace, with scripture, with gratitude, and maybe the list could go on. Maybe it's a dot, dot, dot. You know, to be continued in another passage. (laughs) But we're just dealing with verses 12 through 17 today. Now, I suspect, I suspect that one of these four hit you right between the eyes. Am I right? Yeah. One of these four probably really just hit home. And you and I need to put on all of these garments. But maybe we should work on putting, putting just one in place this coming week. If, if we just kind of focused our thoughts and our prayers on one of these garments... And put one of these garments on, you know, and, and wore it all week. It, it, might, it might make a difference. If we focused on just one of these this week, that would be good discipleship. Alan mentioned we're, we're about discipleship and helping people learn how to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. If you put on one of these garments this week in, in greater measure or, or double layer maybe, uh, that would be good discipleship. So was God talking to you about love this morning? Kind of turning the heat up a little bit on the whole idea of love, loving one another, being compassionate, tender, kind-hearted, and forgiving. Or, or peace, maybe it was peace that, that he went, smacked you upside the, the head with peace. You need to be more peaceful in your home, your relationships, your workplace. 
Peace. Maybe you need to focus on peace. Or was God speaking to you this morning about clothing yourselves with more Scripture? Maybe reading or studying more, memorizing more Scripture, reading the Scriptures with your kids before they go to bed, reading the Scriptures with your spouse before you go off to work. Maybe, I don't know, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does that look like for you? How, how can you? What do you need to do to put that on? Or maybe the Holy Spirit was prompting you to stop complaining, stop cranky, stop grumpy, and start giving thanks in everything. He's whispering to me this morning. I, 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 had, a, I had the opportunity to do business with God earlier in the week because guess what? I prepared the sermon. So he was working on me long before this morning, and I'm sure that he's working on you. So on the count of three, I want you to say out loud the word that you need to work on this week, okay? When I count to three, I'm going to have you say out loud the word that you think you need to work on. Nancy, not the word that John needs to work on, okay? <laughs> this, is, this is your own personal, I'm going to do this this week, I'm going to put this garment on so I look better and I'm, so that I can live my life to the glory of God. I want to glorify God by putting on love or peace or scripture, gratitude. So on the count of three, you got your word. I know you do because God's been whispering to you as I preach. And say, you, need to, you need to bone up in this. Come on now. Okay, so on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Just like I thought. Let's pray together. Lord, it's been rich. Thank you for all that has transpired in our service this morning. Oh, the prayer time was amazing. The sharing time, what the gathering means to us, was powerful in my hearing again this morning. Makes me so grateful to be part of the gathering. And, and the word from Colossians chapter 3, whew, transformational, really. And now, Father, as we put these things into practice, To the glory of God, may Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.